What's poppin', y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Heliocentric Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Pierre, Pee Wee the Plug, Andreessen. In today's episode, we got a lot to unpack. We got our opening month awards. We got some red hot teams. We got some ice cold teams. We got some drama. We'll get to all of that. Before we dive in, though, I just want to remind everybody at home, make sure you hit that like button for me. And if you're new and you enjoy this type of content, make sure you subscribe. My audio listeners, make sure you head over to wherever you get your podcast and leave this podcast, the Heliocentric centric five star like we're a month in this is the fifth episode we do we do episode weekly so four episodes in means we hit our month of existence i just want to give a big shout out to all of y'all i'm so thankful and appreciative of all of the love all of the support constantly constantly supporting this podcast and myself um it's been a great start and a great journey y'all know me i'm just looking to get better each and every time we do it one percent better one percent better baby steps it's not possible without the support the love and the help of everybody who comes in and watch and is a loyal viewer um leaving comments uh advice or uh criticism you know constructive criticism so i appreciate all of that and i just want to show my love to y'all happy holidays i know we're coming off to the thanksgiving hopefully everybody had an incredible thanksgiving and we're heading into december for a magnificent christmas and new year nba red hot teams um my team fell victim to one of them last night the Phoenix Suns went into Madison Square Garden and handed my Knicks a very, very tough L. We fought back. We climbed back. Jalen Brunson uh, was terrific down the stretch for us. But some nights and some games, you just have to tip your cap off to the opposing team or opposing player on the other team. And Devin Booker was that guy. We we went down stretch. We tied the game um, after a nice little comeback. And... Right when you think like, man, one more stop, we go into overtime and may potentially can grind this game out. Devin Booker, uh, as patient as can be, being as lethal as can be, hits the game winning three over what was supposed to be um, a hard trap double team. But Julius Randle was a little nonchalant and very kind of delayed, I will say, with his reaction to to go in there to trap Devin Booker to get the ball out of his hands. But still a tough shot over two people. Love the fact that he was able to go to social media, Devin Booker, and joke about it, saying, I'm always complaining about those double teams. Um, if you don't know or remember, obviously the Joe Kim Noah thing with the uh, workouts years ago when they were doubling Devin Booker. And he's like, man, I'm trying to get better. It's the summer. Y'all double teaming me and different things like that. That was a whole ordeal. Love to see him play into that, obviously. Um, but the Suns, Suns seven-game win streak after that win last night. I said it before. I'll say it again. I don't know how they are continually uh, making this happen. They are constantly winning games and grinding it out without two of the guys. So the first phase of this was Kevin Durant out there by himself. And there was no Devin Booker or Bradley Beal. Um, and they were thriving and doing anything, staying afloat, gaining momentum. And then now it's Devin Booker's turn. And now Devin Booker is out there with the guys. And there's no Kevin Durant or Bradley Beal. Bradley Bill, I think we have another week and a half, maybe two weeks before he's reevaluated and we get more information on his timetable to return in this lineup. Uh, same thing with Kevin Durant. Um, the foot foot injury um, has been bothering him. I don't think he's going to be out as long as Bradley Bill, but I still think it may be another game or two before we see Kevin Durant. Um, Got to credit Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel has his team playing good enough defense to where they can you know, stay afloat and that offense can carry them. When you have so many dynamic guys like Kevin Durant, like Bradley, like Bradley Bill, Devin Booker, Bradley Bill to a lesser degree, but Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker are not just elite scores, but they're elite basketball players. And when I'm loving to see when one of those guys are out there by themselves with the rest of the role players, is you're seeing them manipulate the game, right? And be real efficient, high level basketball players. It's one thing to be an elite level scorer. And you're just scoring and scoring and scoring and trying to keep your your team in with, with scoring. But it's, eventually that's going to drain out and teams are going to, you know, weaponize your teammates against you and force you to have to, you know, trust a teammate, to do, do things like that and get the ball out of your hands. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker throughout the stretch, they've done a good job, in my opinion, of empowering the teammates throughout the course of the game and getting in where they fit in in a timely matter to say, OK, now it's time for me to get my offensive game in. Now it's time for me to take over here. Now it's time for me to close out the game. And I think that's given these role players on this Phoenix Suns team a big boost in confidence. We're seeing Eric Gordon have amazing nights. Josh Okoge has had it. 
Keita Bates Diop has had it. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic. I've seen Grayson Allen his shots. Um, I've seen. I've seen. Uh, oh my gosh, my mind is going blank. I- I've seen a bunch of different guys <laughs> his shots. Um, that one's gonna eat me up. The person that I'm thinking of, he went to North Carolina, was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers. Just so y'all to know, my my mind, the entire episode is gonna be like, remember that name, remember that name. This guy was a McDonald American. How am I forgetting his name? I'm not even gonna cut this. How am I forgetting this name? Anyway, um, the Suns are figuring it out. They're making shots. You know what? Live on the podcast, and I'm sorry for my people who uh, are watching this and saying uh, we can't see you because this is obviously audio. I'm right now looking at the Phoenix Suns, and I'm looking at their players because, oh, man, this is this is embarrassing, number one, and it's also scary because I am getting a little bit older, and these type of things usually happen when you get a little. Nasir Little. Nasir Little. Holy shit. Now, I've seen Nasir Little make shots. Um, I feel like my dad. I know exactly who I'm talking about. I know everything about them, but I cannot remember the name. The face is there, the jersey number, the college, everything. I'm getting old, y'all. I'm getting old. Y'all can see. I'm, I'm getting old. I should delete that, but I'm not. Anyway, the Suns, they're figuring it out. Um, they're not stellar defensively, but they're an average defense who are relying on elite offensive play. And hopefully, maybe we'll see that defense climb up little by little over the course of the season because Frank Vogel is a defensive-minded guy who um, has a history of making teams figure it out. If that happens with the offensive um, capabilities of their stars and plus the confidence that the role players are receiving right now during these type of stretches, this Phoenix Suns team could be extremely dangerous. Um, so hats off to them. And again, it's, it's, it's still something out there left to be seen. Because even the stretches in the games we've seen of Bradley Bill so far, we can kind of confirm that he wasn't 100% healthy. He wasn't 100% healthy. There's something really going on with that back. And I think that they should be as patient as they can be. And the, having Devin Booker and Kevin Durant playing like this and their role players playing like this to be on a seven-game streak, and I think it allows you to have comfort to tell him to really get healthy, where you don't have to bring him out prematurely. You don't have to rush his rehab process. Let him fully get healthy and allow these other guys to continue to fill out roles and get confidence because the more confident your role players are, the more dangerous of a team you are, in my opinion. So um, I cannot wait to see a fully healthy Phoenix Suns team, including Bradley Beal in the mix. Um, Other red hot team, the Magic. Man, 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 I'm glad we're able to talk about the Magic. We'll dive in more because the Magic will come up in the award part of this episode for sure. Um, but Jamal Mosley, Jamal Mosley and this Magic group, they're, they're handling business. They've uh, had some impressive wins. They're second out east in the conference. They're the second seed, man. I know we're a month in. I know it's not solidified. Obviously, by the time we get to the playoffs, who knows where they'll be. But I still think for a very young team, even in the early part of the season, we should applaud and really um, give them credit. We give them, give them credit. When you have a young team, it's hard to be able to close out games because you're not used to winning and you don't have the experience. And they're finding ways to do it. They're, they're buying in offensively. Um, and I'm just loving the, the the impact that every different player is having on any given night. You know, you'll have Franz have a night. Paolo can have a night. Cole Anthony will have a night. When he's healthy, Markel can have a night. You'll see Anthony Black do something really nice. You'll see Jonathan Isaac have some good minutes here and there. Um, Mo Wagner has has played magnificent. You've heard me say, is he the best backup center in the NBA? I think he's making it a real question. You know, you have Nas Reed, obviously, but I think Mo Wagner, as far as this season, he's making it a more complete conversation. So the Magic handling a business last night wasn't as exciting or as impressive as the Suns uh, on the Devin Booker uh, game winner because they beat the Charlotte Hornets. And some other news tied into the game. Obviously, LaMelo Ball went down, got helped off the court. Not not a good sight for Charlotte. Number one, LaMelo Ball was starting to hit his stride, and he was starting to really do his thing, and I felt like the team was too. Miles Bridges came back and was giving them some input. Uh, Brandon Miller obviously was playing really, really well. They had already lost Terry Rozier for a little minute, and now you you lose LaMelo Ball, um, who was coming off of a season last year where the ankle really bothered him enough to really hinder him and and kind of give him a, an incomplete season. Don't don't really feel like we had many memories last year of LaMelo Ball being on the floor. And um, this team needs him. 
this team needs him um, because he gives them a breath of fresh air and some type of life. He is their star. And those games that feel like they can win or why they're hanging around is usually stemming from him being out there. And like I said, they've had a couple of impressive wins this season on the back of a LaMelo ball and his presence, not even always just scoring or having 30 point nights, but being a, an incredible passer, giving them some pace, giving them some flow and um, some identity and losing him is going to only make this season a little bit longer because they weren't the best hot smoking team with them. So without them, they'll probably find a way to really, really hit rock bottom. So get well soon. LaMelo, we also lost Jalen Johnson, man. Jalen Johnson out four to six weeks. Uh, for the Atlanta Hawks with a wrist injury. It's tough because we had lost, and hopefully he should be coming back soon, Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas was one of those young players like Jalen Johnson really hitting that stride, really breaking out. And um, to lose both of these guys is a little bit, it sucks, right? Even if I'm not a Hawks fan, even if I'm not a Nets fan, this is the exciting part of the NBA. It's when we have our star players do star things like we got from Devin Booker. But then we also have our elite teams like the Boston Celtics doing Boston Celtic things. But it's always the ones that you're like, it's not it's not necessarily surprising, but they're breaking out. You have the magic like, yeah, good stuff, Celtics. Y'all handling business, but the magic are breaking out right before our eyes of being a really, really good basketball team. Hey, uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, y'all are doing y'all, LeBron, y'all doing y'all thing. We love to see it. But man, Jalen Johnson is arriving. You know what I'm saying? Like Cam Thomas is here. That to me is what helps the NBA season, you know, be at its peak and at its best. When you have the solidified players doing what they do, you have young players and then you have guys that are arriving and saying, I'm here. Um, and, and to have both of those guys um, be out for at least a month now that Jalen Johnson is out four to six weeks. It's, 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 it's a little disappointing, I'll say. So it's, it's definitely a disappointing, but luckily for us, the NBA is the gift that keeps giving. So I'm sure we'll have other players step up and start to um, fill that void of excitement of having guys break out and deliver um, and, and arrive on uh, on the scene. So that is uh, that's the down part. We do have Obviously, like I said, rare high teams, the cold teams, Detroit still can't get a win. Tonight is going to be a big night. The Wizards are the worst team in the East. They have managed to be the worst team in the East while the Detroit Pistons are on a 13-game losing streak. How are you worse than a team who hasn't gotten a win in a month? How? How are you Further down in the standings, even if it's by one, still, it's still mind-blowing that the Wizards have managed to be below a team that's on a 13-game losing streak. Granted, the Wizards are on a nine-game losing streak, if I'm not mistaken, but damn, 13 is longer than nine. It's higher than nine. It, that That's just kind of crazy to me. Tonight, those teams play against each other. We have the Wizards and the Pistons. If the Pistons don't win this game... It's going to be very interesting to see when the next win is going to come. They're already around. Yeah, they already haven't really gotten a win in about a month. They're about a a day away. Yeah, they're about a day away. Their last win, I think, was like October 28th. It's November 27th. So if they don't win a day, they'll go a month without having a win, which is an extremely low, 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 low point. And I think that we all believe that this team was past going on a 15-game losing streak, going on, you know, a 10-game losing streak. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we thought that the Pistons maybe necessarily weren't ready for playoffs, but they weren't going to be bottom feeders, worst team in the NBA. You can't pay me to watch them. Um, Can't tell you anything that's going on with them as far as night-to-night basis because who's tuning in to watch them type thing. So, uh, this is going to be a big night. And then the Wizards, the Wizards, do you want to be the team that the 13 game losing streak team could beat? Do you? Because this hasn't been a pretty year for you either. Jordan Poole, last couple games. Okay. Starting to wake up. But can we get that on a more consistent basis? Kyle Kuzma looks like a guy that should be traded as soon as he, as soon as he can. He just doesn't fit there. Tyus Jones just doesn't fit there. The brightest thing about Washington is Bilal. If we just being honest. 
Um, so I'm 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 very excited to see that game. Mid that that's the epitome of a mid off, but it's potentially can be an exciting mid off. Could you imagine if one of those teams got blown out tonight? Does that result in a fo- in a coach getting fired? Like if the Pistons go in there and dominate the Wizards, do we get a a notification like, oh man, West Unsale Jr. let go? <laughs> or if the Wizards go in there and dominate the Pistons? And the Pistons now on a 14-game losing streak, and they get blown out by a team that is below them in the standings. Do we see Monty Williams say, oh, I resign. I resign. <laughs> I shouldn't have took this money. Um, so I'm, I'm watching that game. I'm watching that game extremely close. Another segue to bring in another team, and this is why I love basketball. We can just connect all of the dots. For the Pistons to be so bad, you know what's crazy? They have two wins. One of them. Against the Bulls. The Bulls had a 21-point lead against the Nets last night. And they managed to lose that game. Not only lose the lead, they lost the game. They gave up a season-high 25-3 to the Brooklyn Nets. To the Brooklyn Nets. And I want to fact-check something really, really quick while we're here. Because when I talk about teams like the Bulls, um, I like to be direct. So the Bulls are 2-8 and eight over their last 10. They're five and thirteen, and the losses keep piling up, and the frustration is no longer able to be hidden. So you have early on in the season, you have stretches where guys are able to give political correct answers. Yeah, tough loss, but we played well. We have something to build on here. You know, you get those type of generic law, uh, answers and things like that. Four game losing streak for the Bulls, thirteenth uh, out east. They're below the Hornets. And they're above the Pistons and in, in, in the Wizards, who are both two and fourteen. Bro, it's time. It's time more than ever. You got Demar Derozan against the Raptors getting ejected, ripping the towel. Lisi dapped up Masai Ujiri on the way out. That was good to see. You got Zach Levine airing out his frustrations. We saw even when they got the win, how he was just ready to go to the locker room. That Even when they won, that was a little ordeal with Zach Levine. And I'm not saying he was a bad guy in that. I'm not saying anybody was at fault. But I understood the mindset in Zach Levine was like, yeah, we got to win. But, dog, we're we're not good. <laughs> you know, what I mean? we're not, we, 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 we not going to go out here and pop lock and, and pop confetti um, on, a, on a win like that, by the way, um, that we barely won. And it doesn't hide the fact that we're still not a good team. And I kind of agree with that mindset. I see teams like that all the time where they go out and ain't nothing wrong with um, celebrating and being happy when you finally do get that win or a hard-fought win. But there is a certain level of, let's keep it going, head down, um, staying focused on the next task. Because as we saw, the Bulls won. And now after that win that they had with that ordeal, they lost four in a row. And even last night, they asked Levine about the game against Brooklyn. And he was like, I'm not surprised. And when you think about that, that is a crazy-ass statement. You're up 21 on a Brooklyn Nets team who's solid, but they don't have Ben Simmons. And they didn't have Cam Thomas. Not that those two guys are MVP candidates or anything like that. But they mean a lot to that Nets team. They didn't have either one of those guys. And they were, they were up 21. You were up 21 points early. Early. Everything going right. When you're up 21, that means offense is flowing. That means you're getting stops defensively. You have every basis of the game covered. And then to not only blow it, but to lose the game as well, it's tough. And then for your star player to say, hey, wasn't even a surprise. Wasn't even a surprise. He basically said, hey, I expected some shit like that to happen, right? Bobby Marks tweeted out, the Nets went on a 63-29 to run since Chicago started 30-9. to So we understand that. The game started, and the Chicago Bulls were up 30-9. to 30-9. As a Bulls fan, if you were at work or you had a family outing or you had something to do because it was Sunday or not, you checking score, you checking your phone, you see 39, you probably you probably put your phone back in your pocket and finish the party. You're probably like, oh, I ain't got to check the score the rest of the, the rest of the night. 
I can I can enjoy this movie with my girl or I can finish shopping with the kids, whatever. It's like I ain't got to keep checking my phone. You know, you know how it is. Sometimes you out and your team is playing and it's a close game. So you got to keep checking. If you're a Bulls fan and you so happen to check your phone or to check the game because you were out and couldn't watch and you saw that you started the game 30 to 9. I am fully confident in saying majority of fans and Bull fans in that situation probably think you don't have to check the phone the rest of the night. I'm good. I can enjoy whatever I'm doing and without caring about the result because we got to win. But then for that to happen and then the Brooklyn Nets going a 63, 63 to 29 run. It's insane. It is insane. I don't even know how that happens. It, they didn't start the game on a 63 to 29 run. They 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 went on that run after being down 30 to 9. The Bulls had every bit of momentum and let it go for a run like that. I think this is an inevitable what's going to happen. And I think the Bulls have to dig deeper. This kind of reminds me of the Chicago Bears, right? The Chicago Bears, we came in um, with not lofty expectations, but we definitely wanted to see the Bears be better. We wanted to see some growth from Justin Fields. We wanted to see, you know, him and DJ Moore have, you know, a relationship that looked well. We want to see Cole Komet, the offensive line, show some growth. We wanted to see some stuff from the defense. Um, our rookie offensive lineman, Darnell Wright. We got our running backs, Roshan Johnson and everybody. Um you know, Khalil Herbert, but early on in the season, nothing was shaking. The Bears are getting embarrassed. L after L after L. And all you heard in Chicago, every newspaper was the Bears lose. What's to happen? Is Eberflus the guy? And I'm for my audio listeners, what I'm doing right now is I'm opening up the newspaper, Chicago Sun Times. This is today's edition. You might can hear it in the mic. The back page is the Bears because we play tonight. Up top, Bulls blow 21-point lead, skid at four. So by the grace of God, the Bears are playing tonight. By the grace of God, because if the Bears weren't playing, I really think the back page would have been the Bulls. But it's the Bears, and they're hyping up this game because it's the Vikings, you know, um, division rival type thing. And can the Bears get this win? I'm trying to, I'm flipping through the newspaper right now, and I'm trying to read y'all the headlines of what's what, what, what they're saying. Bulls still lack consistent physicality. Bulls find another way to lose. Um, this time, they squander a 21 point lead by yielding 25 threes. I don't know what I don't know, and that's the thing that's a little mind-boggling, frustrating. Whatever word you want to use, Donovan said Sunday, Demar Derozan has led our team in charges. He puts his body in plays, so he's more than capable of doing that. We've seen Vooch rim protect and go vertical. We've seen Zach come over and provide help when he needs to. It's not like we never done it, just not enough. Um, that's Billy Donovan, I guess, talking about defense or whatever, getting stops. But yeah, the Bulls. The Bulls just suck, and that reminds me of the Bears because you have a certain level of expectation and things fall, and you give a ger- generic answers for a while, and then after so long, the fans, the media, and the people of the city say, hey, these generic answers ain't, ain't adding up. You can't tell me that you're playing hard and you're losing. You can't tell me that um, the, sp- the team spirits are high and y'all are losing 21-point leads. You can't sell us the bullshit. So it's inevitable. Changes have to happen. Big changes. And that's the thing about franchises. And I didn't even know I was going to go deep into this with the Bulls. I thought I was going to address the fact that they had a terrible loss. But on a deep, deeper level, what franchises like to do in sports, and it happens a lot in the NBA, is they'll go on these type of losing streaks or they'll have really bad losses. And the conversation is around shit that I don't think will change anything or not anything drastically. Yo, Billy Donovan being fired is not the answer for the Bulls. It's not going out and getting a new coach. That's lying to yourself. That's procrastinating the inevitable. The fact of the matter is that this group of guys on your roster is not good. They don't complement each other. 
They don't do anything well or above average at a high level that's going to win you consistent games in the NBA. There's fit questions. There's lack of development with certain guys. There's no true point guard that I really think brings all of this together. No shot at Kobe White. Maybe it's Alex Russo. Maybe it's Javon. I don't know. I know it's Lonzo Ball, but he's not coming through the door anytime soon. Patrick Williams, I don't know what's going on there. This team is not good. And I think it's way deeper than, hey, let's fire Billy Donovan. Let's bring in a, let's bring in some new energy, a new voice. Maybe they'll respond. No, I think you really have to look at the top of the top of the top. You got to consider GM, president. You got to cons- consider those positions. Coming in with a new philosophy throughout the building. You bring in somebody new, they trade. I, that's what I would do. I would tear this thing down. January 15th, where everybody's eligible to be traded. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRosa, Vucevic, whoever that needs to go that can bring me back what I need to properly retool and rebuild. I'm sorry, not retool. We're not retooling. Whatever I need to rebuild this team, I'm trading it all away to get everything that I need to do that. And then I'm letting Billy Donovan go. And I may even bring in some new, new up top philosophies. I may search around and see if I can bring in a new GM because I need a. Th- this is one of the situations. Like, for example. If your business that you create. If it falls apart. Phys- uh, mentally, uh, I mean. Literally and metaphorically, you knock it all down. I'm not going to, if, if I open up a sprint and it's not successful, I'm not going to fucking keep the sprint store right there. We're, the, the staff lets go. We fire the staff. We sell the property. We knock down the building. And you know what I mean? Like that's what happens when you do businesses. Like if you, if you have a Burger King that's just not thriving in that area, you, you fucking you, you knock down a Burger King and you put a Wendy's there or you, or you put a Cane's there or something new. You don't fucking keep Burger King and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to hire a new GM. No, no, they don't want that fucking Burger King. This roster of the Bulls is not working. Cut it. GM, everybody go. Coach, go. Staff, go. And then we'll just we'll just work it up. I don't want to spend that much. I, I did not want to spend that much time against I mean, on the on the Bulls. Uh, a couple other things to address around the league just before we dive into these awards. The Bucks came back from the biggest uh the Bucks had the biggest turnaround this season. They came back from 26 against the Blazers. How were they ever down 26 against the Blazers? I don't know because they don't defend. They don't defend. Um impressive win, cool win at home. Uh big shots were made. You know what I'm saying? But again, this team doesn't defend. Jeremy Grant played really well. Malcolm Brogdon played really well and this team, Blazer team legitimately had a chance to win it. Until the Blazers, I mean, until the the Bucks really sat up and really focused, but it's because they don't get enough stops. Um, even when they hit big threes, like they hit a big three, I think from Malik Beasley, and I think Jeremy Grant came down and just hit another three, tie game. <laughs> you know, so um, they don't get enough stops, and because of that, teams are always going to have a chance. Teams are always going to be able to come out and, and form some type of flow because once you start rolling, you get momentum. Somebody gets hot. This is the NBA. Anybody can beat you. I don't give a damn if it's the Pistons or the Wizards. If you allow Kay Cunningham to get going and, and get some momentum and get hot, he can black out for 40 and lead the Pistons to a win, potentially. <laughs> um, same thing with the Wizards. You let Kuzma or Poole, anybody get hot in this league, you can lose. So I think the Bucks really, really, really have to get that side of the basketball together. They did get stops when it mattered. Um that could also be because it's the Blazers and they didn't have anybody overwhelmingly crazy. It ain't like fucking Durant was walking on that team, on the floor for that team. Um, but good win for the Bucks, nevertheless. Good win for the Bucks. Another good win for the Bucks. Um, Drew Smith for the Miami Heat. Season-ending ACL injury. This has been a little bit of a conversation because um, the floor with the Cleveland Cavaliers is elevated. Okay. It has been elevated for as long as I can remember, right? Um, and I remember them changing the floor when 
I remember the floor really changing when LeBron came because they changed the colorway and the scheme and things like that. But they've said that this floor has always been elevated because of hockey. And a lot of teams play hockey on the same. The United Center is like that with uh, the Bulls. It's hockey under that, but their floor isn't crazy elevated. So I don't, I don't really understand. It's like 10 inches elevated, which is the combination of two iPhones. Um, and so basically what happened is Drew Smith went to contest a jump shot. And when he contested, he kind of fell out of bounds as well. But his foot slid off of the floor. His leg, I was saying, that's how the injury occurred. You really got to go watch it. It's hard to explain. But if you know the Cleveland Cavalier floor, you'll know that it's it's levitated. So if you're falling off of that floor, you're sliding off of that floor from, you know, slipping on something. He slept on a, slipped on a piece of paper that was at the edge of it. Um, your foot can go off. Your, your whole leg can go off. You can fall off of the court as, an, as a person. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm ex- curious to see because I've never walked on the floor. And I've never, I don't have video evidence of it, but I'm, I'm sure like if the teams that play are leaving the court, you probably got to like jump down or hop down. And like as a fan, even if you're in the front row, you're watching up there above you. You know what I'm saying? Like that to give you some type of perspective. So unique, but it's something that people are saying they should look into. Uh, you got Eric Spolster saying that they he have always thought that it was a safety hazard for them. You also have, uh, JB Bickerstaff saying that him and his players have not had a problem. So um it's 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 an interesting conversation. Could be just a freak accident because this has been like this for years and nothing like this has happened. Injuries are a part of the game, and this is unfortunate that a guy like Drew Smith, who isn't a solidified NBA player trying to make his way to, to be a staple in the league, has a, a season ending injury because of something like that. You chop it up as a freak accident, do the Cavs make changes. So far, it says that it's a freak accident. 30 years, and this is the first time something like this happens. Freak accident. Prayers for, for Drew Smith, though. Nevertheless, you never want to see an injury like this, especially to the, the, the caliber of player he is. A guy who's young, trying to really make the NBA as a consistent player, whether it be with the Heat or different teams. Very, very, very unfortunate loss um, and injury for him. Tonight, excuse me, tomorrow night, the in-season tournament lasts. Last uh, last day of group play before we get to to understand who's going to be advancing and uh, what wild card team is going to be there. So that that's going to be interesting. Um, last topic that I'll discuss before we get in here is the Josh Giddy situation. Um, talked about it a little bit on the Through the Wire podcast. I'll say the same thing here, just because a lot of fans um have questions and different things that they're saying, and I'm seeing everything that's happening on Twitter. The Josh Giddy situation, you. You guys have to understand this. Anything that serious, first and foremost, you have to let facts come into play. And this is this is even outside of basketball. But because we have social media, there's a lot of dangerous things that go on. Right. And I think a big part of it is because the majority of the people that's on social media, there's no integrity there for you. You're just a user. Or I'm not, I don't want to say you, but there's just people out there that's just a user on the platform and they can say whatever the hell they want to say. There's no accountability. They can hide behind a fake name. They don't have to put their profile picture there. You don't have to put any personal information. Um, and you could just talk behind the screen, whether that's positive talking, whether that's negative, whether that's uh, speculating, whether that's throwing out rumors. There's no accountability. When you have a legit platform, and you have a legit job and you're legitimately in the media and what you, what you say matter, it holds weight and you have a reputation. It's very hard to speak deeply on these type of topics. The best thing that you have to know is hopefully everybody in the media feels the way I feel, which no grown man should be doing anything with anybody that's not of age. Number one, that that that's like goes without saying. Hopefully everybody feels that way that. To me, that goes without even being said. I, I, You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't even feel like I have to say that, but I'm going to say it. Me and at least the people that I work with, I can say wholeheartedly. I can't speak for every other media member, but I would say wholeheartedly for me and my podcast and the people I know. Anything underage? No. I don't. And, and I'm a guy that I'm saying even like 
take away any of the allegations. I don't even think it's appropriate to be hanging out or doing anything or being around. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's just not appropriate to do at all. A grown ass adult, man, woman, whatever, should not be doing anything with anybody under the age of a, an, an adult. Unless, obviously, your family. That's my little sister. That's my little cut. Whatever. But you get what I'm saying. Um, But the dangers of social media is everybody wants to quickly speak out. Everybody wants to throw out their opinion fast, 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 without facts, without speculation. And the, and the Internet is a dangerous place because we've seen false stories. We've seen people make up shit. We've seen things look away and it turns out to not be away. And I'm not saying this to defend Josh Giddy because I don't know the facts. I'm just saying... When you when you guys start to ask questions to media people, why aren't you speaking out on this? Why ain't you speaking out on that? It's a difference from saying what's going on and then having an, a, a strong opinion. This is not a situation that opinions are needed, to be honest with you. This is a situation where facts are needed. You need to know if Josh Giddy factually did this, because if he did, the NBA need to handle it. But if he didn't, then people need to fall back and shut up. And that's all I'm saying. We have to start dealing in facts, y'all. We have to start dealing in facts. The facts is, this is a situation that the NBA is investigating. That's the only fact that I have, and that's what I'm going off of. And I said on it through the Wire podcast, this same type of thing happened with the Tory Lanes and Meg Thee Stallion thing. I've seen so many people on social media rushing to have an opinion on something that they didn't have the facts on. It was he say, she say at that point. He shot me. No, I didn't. I don't know any of those people personally, so why am I in a rush to take a side? Anybody, either any, either or could have been lying. I don't under, I, I just don't understand that part in our society right now where there's this rush to have an opinion and to, have, and to speak like it's a fact. Oh, man, he did that shit. Yep, he shot her. It's like, how, how do you know that? And what is your rush for? When the facts come out and you know for a fact that happened, Oh, man, crucify. Do all you want to do. When people have their things that they say about Miles Bridges, I don't say that they're wrong. That factually happened. Hey, go off the ledges. Do any, you know, go, go off the hinge. Do whatever you want to do. Cru- crucify. Um, be critical. Whatever you want to do, feel free because it's a fact that it happened. Rehabilita- rehabilitation and forgiveness and all that, that's a whole nother conversation. And that takes time. So people who are feeling the need to say something about Miles Bridges anytime he plays, knock yourself out. I have no problem with it. It's a fact. You know, at least that was a fact that you know happened. But in terms of the Josh Giddy thing, I'm seeing a lot of people say, hey, man, why they ain't speaking out on this? Why I haven't heard this? Be-? I don't know why they haven't said it. If anybody hasn't said anything about it being investigated, I don't know why they're not doing that. That's that's silly to me. But if they're not on there giving a 15 minute think piece speech about it, it's because it's literally yet to be resolved and i think i think there's a luxury and a privilege people have when they don't have big platforms a lot of people want one a lot of people want to be in the media a lot of people want to do this and do that start podcasts be able to have platforms and conversations but the way that people handle themselves on social media shows time and time again why you probably won't have a successful platform why you won't be a powerful voice why people won't really take you serious is because there's a way to do things. There's a there's a major way to do things, and a lot of people um, don't understand the integrity um, behind having a voice in a strong platform. And these are the type of situations where they're just careless, man. There's this careless. There's a, a child is potentially involved in this. This is not a game. This this is people's lives. You know, this is something where if Josh Giddy is is guilty of, of of these accusations, he's probably never gonna play a game in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like, and even if it stands to be true, this is something that'll always be attached for, to his name for the rest of his life. When you type in Josh Giddy, these things are gonna pop up for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? That girl, that child that's involved with this, this is something that we don't we have no idea what's going on in her life. She has parents. They're they live in a community, they go to a, a local high school. You know, these are things that these are people's lives. So when you understand that, there's a certain due diligence that's needed when we speak and discuss while not having facts. And I think 
on social media, we should remember that. It's okay to be patient and wait for the details and facts to come out before being hard-pressed on giving an opinion that's so strong. Obviously, you see a headline like, headline like that, that it's disgusting, and it's like, oh, man, what? That's crazy. What, what, what is going on? But after you realize, and like, okay, well, there, this is social media. We don't know. Then it's like, okay, I'll wait. And now once the stuff comes out to be true, false, or whatever, then you go and you say, boom, you bogus, get them out of here. But until then, we just got to sit back, wait, and we'll see what happens. And that that's really my thought process on this. Um, it's my thought process on a lot of different things. And I think comparing and, and, and that type of mentality, I don't get that either. Um, I know a lot of people talk about the John Moran stuff. I just don't I don't really understand that either on social media where it's like this happened. So this happened. You did this and did that. Like every situation is different. Every situation is its own thing. It's no one size fits all to anything. Feel however you want to feel. But it's just it, I, don't, I don't know. I just don't understand certain things and certain uh, mindsets and perspectives when we start to talk about certain topics. And uh, that's the down part of social media. Is that I think these type of big, serious topics, everybody can't be a part of. There's a certain le- there's a certain level of maturity um, and intelligence that has to be a part of certain conversations. And social media is open to so many young people, so many people who aren't mature, so many people that aren't intellectually at a certain point in their lives. And there's so many people doing things for shit that's not genuine right it's a lot of people doing things so they can get clicks they can get retweets they can get followers trying to be funny and you know these are serious things that revolve around people's actual lives and it's easy to be funny it's easy to crack jokes hell i'm guilty is he you know it's easy for us to not take it serious but if any of us were in e- in any of these seats and i'm not even talking about just solely the josh giddy situation i'm talking about anything on social media where people are rushing to have an opinion um, if any of us were the people that were in it, we pro- it probably wouldn't be so funny. You know what I'm saying? If Meg Thee Stallion was one of our family members or we were her and we got shot and somebody was saying that they didn't do it, probably wouldn't be so funny. You know what I'm saying? If 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 somebody was accusing us of doing something like that and we didn't do it or whatever, it probably wouldn't be so funny. You know what I'm saying? Um, any of these any of these social media conversations where you see. Uh, something comes out, allegations, and, and people run with it like the allegation is a fact. We've seen times where allegations are true. They're severe and they're true, and they're, they're, they're not rumors. It's not an allegation. This has actually happened. We've also seen times where shit has been false. Somebody lied, and then it's like, oh, shit, now you got to go back and say, oh, man, I, man, you, nah. Take your time. Let the let the facts come out, and then and then once you have the facts, you can confidently speak out and form your opinions. That's my two cents on that. Um, first month NBA awards. First and foremost, shout out to the NBA, man. The gift that keeps on giving. I just love the NBA. I feel like the NBA is at an all-time high. Um, and I'm, I'm, just ha- I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I can't say it enough. Um, I don't even know which award we should start with. I, I never want to start with MVP because I feel like that's uh, that's the big one. Um, but let's start with it. Let's do something different. Let's start with MVP. My MVP after the first month of the season goes to Joel Embiid, man. Um, I just think that there's so much here to unpack. I think that this is a legitimate choice that we could see actually at the end of the year, back to back. Um, and I love the response here after him winning it last year and a lot of us being like, man, that should have went to Jokic and you know what I mean? It was a sympathy MVP. He's bouncing back and saying, no, I'm really an MVP player. And this team is 11 and five right now throughout the first 16 games. I believe they're fourth out east. And last year they were third with James Harden. So there hasn't been much of a fall off. Um, and he's playing incredible basketball. He's giving you 32 points a game, 11 rebounds, six assists, two blocks. He's had games with six blocks, five blocks. He's had 48 in the game, I believe. He's had 15 rebounds, 16 rebounds. It's not much that Joel Embiid hasn't done. Um, he's at 10 already in 16 games. He has 10 games with 30 plus points. Incredible. Incredible stuff for Joel Embiid. And like I said, for them to lose James Harden and not really lose a beat as a team, 
speaks volumes to not only him, but Tyrese Maxey, Nick Nurse, and the rest of those guys there. When you look at the 76ers on paper, you know, for them to lose James Harden, they they, they kind of are defining the less is more theory, right? So I think that goes into the narrative that is needed for Joel Embiid. Narrative, 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 narrative. Narrative winning numbers. Narrative winning numbers and moments. Narrative, Joel, you lose James Harden, don't lose a beat. Numbers, winning moments. So he's checking off all those boxes, and I think only more moments are going to happen throughout the course of the season for Joel Embiid. Rookie of the year. Got to tip your hat off to this guy, man. Rookie of the year came in, and I think this is a, a Victor Wimbyama uh, award to lose. But there's this other guy out there who's a unicorn as well, Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren is giving us 18, 8, and 2 on 56, 43, 88, two and a half blocks per game. Listen, he he said uh, when he was drafted, they say who's the best player in the month He's uh, in the NBA. He says me in a couple months. And that was like some cute shit to say that get traction on social media. And like, oh, man, look at this dude. You think He's really not the best player in the NBA. Not even one of them. But damn, is he the best rookie. And this is a, a guy in a draft class with Victor Wimbiyama, who was the most hyped rookie that we've probably ever seen. I know they say since LeBron James, I was there when LeBron James was coming into the league. The hype with Vic is crazy because he's 7'5". We've, never, we've literally never seen anything like this. Um, and Chet is doing his thing. He's thriving, man. He, he's, he's had a game where he's had seven blocks. He has 13 games, uh, 13 rebound games, 12 rebound games. He's had 30-point games. Um, he had that moment where he had the shot over Andrew Wiggins. This team is a top 10 offense, top 10 defense. Last year, they were 13th offensively, I believe, and 14th defensively. So they're, they're improving and they're, they're, they're taking their strides. A conversation that I think is important with this chat thing is something I've been seeing people been reaching out to me about is uh, the winning for OKC. And this is my stance on it and how I view it. When it comes to the Rookie of the Year award, it's hard to add in winning into the aspect of how you vote. And the reason why is because historically, the top players are drafted to the worst teams. So with that knowledge, it's hard to to expect. Like, for example, the Spurs were god-awful last year. Why would we expect them to win 44 games this year? Or why would we say, oh, man, OKC is winning more games I don't understand that. You may have a rare year where both of the top people fighting for the award are making the playoffs. I think Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell were both guys that were going to the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's an added bonus, but I don't think it's anything to be like, man, he's winning more than Vic. I don't think it's a legitimate thing. Obviously, it doesn't hurt if it sounds good to say, oh, man, and he's helping the team. They're in the playoffs and different things like that. But if I have two guys that I'm comparing, you know what I'm saying? I'm not looking at it like, man, he's going to the playoffs. He isn't. Because normally, historically, if a rookie is going to the playoffs, they're on a, a team with some really good players. So when you look at Chet, for example, Chet is on a team with an all-NBA player. Victor Wimbiyama isn't. Asar Thompson isn't. They, they're not, they don't have the luxury of playing with a team that has an all-NBA player. So that's why it's hard. We haven't seen in this generation a rookie come in and really be the reason that a team is going to the playoffs. They're playing a part. They're part of the reason, but they're not solely like, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, we haven't seen that. If Vic came in and the Spurs are in the playoffs right now, we would know, oh, shit, this team was not doing this. He is the reason. And that would be a different conversation. If there was no Shea Gilgis Alexander on the Thunder and Chet was really single-handedly carrying this shit and he was the sole reason for the most part that they were in the conversation, then it would be like, oh, damn. But unless that's happening, which it normally really doesn't, I think winning is just something that you acknowledge and say, oh, man, that's dope. That's cool. But it's nothing that it gives them an advantage over the other rookies. Because, again, historically, you're not expecting a rookie to even compete for the playoffs because he went to the team that was the worst team in the NBA last year. So that's really my two cents on it. Um, I still think Chet right now is, is the runaway rookie of the year for the first month. Uh, I think there were certain times where it may have been close. There are certain other candidates that may have caught your eye, but nobody right now is playing better basketball than Chet Holmgren. And obviously, yeah, he does have some advantages. He did play um, uh, in the NBA last year. Did he play any games? No. 
But I think playing in the NBA is more than actually playing on the floor. We even seen it with Ben Simmons. You do have an advantage, you know, uh, Blake Griffin. Like there's guys who come in that second year after having an injury and there's an advantage. We see Joel Embiid. Um, you're around the NBA. You're around your team. You're at the practices. You know how the travel schedule is. You have the nutrition and the uh, weightlifting program and, and all of that. It's your job. When you're in college and you're in school, um, you're not used to the NBA being your full-time job. But once you get that that under your belt and you come in now as a basically a red shirt rookie, you have your advantages. Um, and I don't. I'm not, that's not a problem. I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's not something that's happened every single year. It is a little bit more um, happening over the last few years with you know Chet and uh, B Ben. You know think the red shirt rookie of the year, Blake Griffin. It, it, we have a few, but it isn't something where it's every single year. So. Um, I love I love to see it. I, I just shows how how much of a separator the NBA is from um, the lower levels of basketball. So uh, all in all, though, Chet Holmgren, my rookie of the year um, after the first month of NBA play, my sixth man of the year, bringing home baby Emmanuel quickly. Um, Emmanuel quickly for the New York Knicks. He's averaging sixteen three and three. His shooting splits are forty four thirty seven and eighty nine. Um, bittersweet thing. Right. It's bittersweet because obviously Emmanuel quickly has been a big engine for us off of that bench. He, to me, embodies everything that you want from a six man. Right now, it's a two man race between him and Malik Monk. Maybe Caruso would be in it if the Bulls were winning some games. Um, But those are two guys, Malik Monk and Emmanuel quickly, who they come into the game and they inject life into your team. They give you excitement. They push the pace. They score. They get buckets. If a starter isn't performing at a certain level, they can close the game out and play in in, in place of the starter. Um, Emmanuel quickly has been there for us. And when we have down moments with our offense or it's a little stagnant or dry, he comes in and uplifts everything. Uh, But the reason it's bittersweet is because he didn't get paid. And we're probably more than likely going to bring him back. He'll probably be a Nick. But man, 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 man. It is a little worrisome. Some team could probably go out there and try to really throw him something that could pry him away um, from the Knicks. And they can try to make him a starter, give him a big bag, and make him too expensive for us. And um, the the more and more well he plays, the more and more of a possibility that that becomes. So as a Knicks fan, that does worry me. Um, But I also want to see this translate to the playoffs, too. When we make the playoffs this year... I want to see Emmanuel quickly do what he's doing because I think that makes us a big time separator from other teams out east. But um, six, six man of the year, Emmanuel quickly. Knicks, make sure he gets paid by us so we can retain him and not have to be um, going against him next year. Most improved player. Another runaway award. Tyrese Maxey, not even close. You have other guys that improved. Scotty Barnes is one of the first names to come to mind. Um, but Tyrese Maxey has hit a whole different level. He is the epitome. This is the type of guy that you want to see be the face of this type of uh, award. He came in averaging eight points per game. Sophomore year, 17. Last year, he gave you 20. This year, he's giving you 26. 26 points, seven assists, five rebounds, 46% from the field, 40% from three, 89% from the free throw line. Again, narrative. Replace James Harden. Team doesn't really lose a beat. 11-5 throughout the uh, first 16 games. He's already had a 50-point a game. He, his assist is going up. His scoring is going up. I think his rebounding is going up. Um, He's improved. Like, legitimately, this is what you think of when you think of most improved player. It's not that number one overall pick who finally hits all-star level. It's not that number one overall pick who finally hits all-NBA level. It's the guy who wasn't drafted to be who he's turned out to be. The guy who constantly improves throughout the course of his career, he started like this, then it was like this, then this, then this. And I know it's an audio platform, but it's a little, medium, large, extra large. Gradually, every single year, better, 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 better. And I think Tyrese Maxey uh, shows that more than anybody um, right now. And he was he, he will make this award get back to what it's about. So I'm voting for Tyrese Maxey to pull this off um, over the course of the year, not just this first month. Defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert wins his fourth uh, award 
for defensive player of the year. 12 points, 11 rebounds. He's being back to a two-block guy. We know last year was the lowest, um, his lowest average in blocks since, what, his rookie year, I believe. So it's good to see him being back to a two-block guy. The Timberwolves right now have the number one defense in the NBA, um, and they're thriving. They're fourth in blocks. Um, they they rebound the hell out of the ball to close possessions. He's a part of that. They, the opponents shoot the worst field goal percentage of the NBA when they play against the Timberwolves. They're thriving. And it's funny with Rudy because his on and off numbers aren't necessarily the best right now because the Timberwolves have a really, really good backup center and, and, and Nas Reed, and they're able to stay afloat um, without Rudy necessarily being out there. But you still can't deny the impact that he's had being that backline defender. They guard the three-point um, shot really well as well. I think that that comes from the confidence that they have of knowing that Rudy is behind them. We can pressure and play and run guys off the line because we have somebody uh, protecting that rim that's extremely elite. So, so through the force, the, throughout the first month, um, Rudy to me has been an elite, back to elite standard, and this team has played different because of it. They are um, what I think they're the number one team out west. Surprisingly, as crazy as that sounds, Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one team out west behind Anthony Edwards having an MVP type caliber season. Um, defensive player of the year type of year from Rudy Gobert. Carlton Towns is starting to get into his flow. You could say Chris Finch is potentially a coach of the year candidate. Naz Reed, six man of the year candidate with Emmanuel Quickly and Malik Monk. Um, but yeah, defensive player of the year throughout the first month, Rudy Gobert, that would be his fourth if he was able to actually win this at the end of the year. Four. Four, four, four. That, that, that's a lot of defensive player of the years. Um, coach of the year. The Orlando Magic, Jamal Mosley, man. Um, the Magic. I want to talk about the Magic for a moment. I know I talked about them earlier because they're on that seven-game win streak. They're second right now in the East. Um, they're the number two defensive team right behind who? Rudy, Rudy Gobert and the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, they're second in steals. Uh, they forced the most amount of turnovers. They're 12-5, and five and they're second in the East. The reason this is big is because early in the year, or to start the year, before the year, I we had to give our predictions. I had the Magic 12th in the East. A lot of Magic fans didn't like that. So, you know, it's part of the job. I don't really care. My argument that I kept saying was that when I talk to Magic people or people that believe in Magic, they have all of these breakouts, right? Franz is going to break out. He's going to take that leap. Paolo is also going to take that leap. Jalen Suggs is going to take a leap. You know what I'm saying? Like all of these things are going to happen. We're going to be healthier than we've ever been. They are they are winning games and none of that is happening. Um, Franz is playing normal Franz basketball. Paolo is playing normal Paolo basketball. He's shooting a three better throughout these first games. Uh, health is still a question because you're missing Markel and Wendell. Um, Jonathan Isley is so slowly coming back. Has Jalen Suggs taken a leap? No, but I think he's found his identity, which is important. And he's taking a leap in, in role and identity. If he's taking a leap, it ain't from a number standpoint. It's from role and identity. But even with all of those things that I question, which I think some of those, I, I was right on some of those things. We haven't seen no crazy leaps yet because it's only 16 games in. Don't get it, Don't get me twisted. Franz Paolo could easily take leaps in December. I mean, it'd be like, oh, there it is. But for them to be 12 and 5, second out east, and for Jamal Mosley to have this team as bought in as he does on the defensive side of the basketball, that is impressive because they haven't been healthy, right? Which has always been a question with Orlando. They have not been healthy. Franz and Paolo have not done anything crazy out of this world in this season yet. Jalen Suggs has been there as far as like energy and tenacity. But the real guy who's been like out of this world is Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony is the guy that's like going crazy and being a big time lift off of the bench. They're missing Gary Harris. They're missing Markel. They're missing Wendell. Mo Wagner, I think, has probably elevated himself into one of the best, if not the best backup centers in the league. That's helped them. But most of the success comes from the coaching of Jamal Mosley. The coaching has been really, 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 really good especially on the defensive side of the basketball. And I think that makes it even more scarier. And I think that makes it even more exciting for Orlando Magic fans because when Paolo and Franz win or if they prove me wrong this season, if they both take a, take a leap, you're, you're out of this world. If Jalen Suggs takes this leap, 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you're out of this world. And don't get me twisted. I was just saying for this season, it's very tough and unrealistic to come into a season for any team or any fan and to ask for leaps across the board. I need a leap from this guy, a leap from that guy, a leap from this guy, a leap from that guy. And a lot of y'all was talking about leaps in a scoring aspect, an offensive leap. Because they are taking leaps defensively, but a lot of y'all, if we keeping it real, was talking about offensive leaps. And I got a message from a, a Magic fan not too long ago who was like, P, don't listen to Magic fans. You're like, we wasn't expecting this. They, they trying to shit on you and act like they knew this was coming. Yeah, you, you hoped for it, but nobody knew the Magic was going to be starting to play like this. This is a whole different level. Second out east. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, the thing I want to tell Magic fans, though, is enjoy this. Because the Magic are still extremely young and there's still so much basketball left that I don't want you guys to lose this fun, lose this passion, lose this feeling um, if y'all have a three or four game skid. Right? It's it's a part of the season. It, it's a part of basketball. So if y'all in the middle of December are not second anymore, y'all seventh all of a sudden, don't fold. Keep the excitement alive. Keep the hope alive. Great teams have to go through those one and four out of the last five. You have a West Coast trip and you're just awful. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to get through that as a team and as a fan base. So when that time comes, because it's going to happen, this is a very long season. It's going to happen. But when it does happen, don't fold the excitement and just get to the point where it's like, oh, man. Oh, look, look, like, no, keep that excitement high because don't forget, this is still a young team. You just want to see y'all get better and and, and become in that playoff conversation. That was the goal for y'all. It wasn't to be a top four seed out east. So enjoy it right now while you have it. But if it does fall fall off or take some slips here and there, don't beat yourselves up or lose the happiness that the fan bases have right now. Because I'm enjoying it as an outsider seeing y'all. Be so hyped. Shout out to my guys, the six-man show. Um, shout out to No Name, who always hits me up about magic-related things. Um, I'm happy for y'all. I'm, I'm you know, uh, contrary to belief, or to sensitive fans, I'm happy. I tell fans all the time, me, I can speak for myself specifically. My job is to take information and analyze it, right? I'm just giving my analysis. Somebody, when you're predicting, has to not be good. And when you come into the year, everybody, you, you see hope for everybody. Everybody has hope. There's a parallel and a pathway for everybody to have breakout seasons or to start the season like this or to do that, do that. So when I put a team low, it ain't nothing personal. Y'all talking like motherfuckers have personal vendettas. I got somebody hit me up or said something in the comments uh, a couple of days ago on it through the wire. Man, it just sounds like he has something personal against the Pelicans because he's saying this, that, that, that. What, what the fuck personal would I have against the Pelicans? What the, like, honestly, ask yourself that. What personal vendetta would I have against the Pelicans? Bro, if the Pelicans win every game or lose every game, my checks don't don't change. My checks stay the same. My bed stays the same. I get the same amount of sleep. Nothing in my life changes whether the Pelicans are 1 or 15th. I, get, I, I promise you, nothing in my life changes. It does not fucking matter to me at all. All I have is the information in front of me. I use my analysis and I take my opinions and I formulate them as best as I can. This is a business where it's inevitable you're going to be wrong. And I want to be wrong because you want everybody to succeed. It's just that everybody can't. Everybody can't win 60 games. I've been I've I've been a fan of a team that isn't that good. My team has gotten back good. But stop being so damn soft and sensitive, uh, fans. Anyway, clutch. Clutch player of the year. Almost is going to give it to Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is a brilliant in the clutch. The Bucks are seven and one. He's giving you seven points per game in a clutch. Um, 50, 40, 90 in a clutch. But I had to give it to Wardell. And, and listen, listen, because I, I Damian Lillard deserves it. But this is the thing that stood out for me with Steph Curry. Is he averaging as much points as Damian Lillard in the clutch? No. But he's giving you 50, 50, 100 splits. Zero turnovers. And they're seven and three. The reason Steph Curry's seven wins holds a lot more weight than, than Dame's is because the Warriors only have eight wins on the year. Seven of their eight wins is Steph Curry going crazy in the clutch. That it gets no clutcher than that, in my opinion. 
this team need, and that's the scary part about it for the Golden State Warriors. They need Steph to be clutched like this because if they don't, they're probably going to lose. That's a lot of pressure to put on Steph, especially at this age. Um, but he's making it happen. We've already seen a lot of the clutch moments. You know what I'm saying? So I got I got Steph Curry. Again, hats off to Damian Lillard. Can't agree. I mean, can't disagree with anybody who may pick him for their clutch player throughout the first month. But seeing the fact that the Warriors have eight wins and seven of those eight wins comes from Curry being clutch, it's hard to not give him that award. Um, some award, the three, three things that I just wanted to make up of my own game of the year, Pacers versus the Hawks. 157 to 152 in season tournament game, if I'm not mistaken. That's the night where Halliburton gave us 37, 16, and 5. And Trey Young gave us 38 and 8. Um, a Dawkins duel. All my YouTube hoop heads know about that. Um, most fun team, Pacers, obviously. Least fun team to watch, Pistons and the Warriors. I mean, the Wizards. And then team that needs to hit the panic button, the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, we talked about them earlier. Just disgusting. All three of those teams kind of disgusting to watch. Um, but yeah, man, those are my first month awards for everybody um, and all of the teams. I think this has been a great opening month. Uh, I think this next month is going to be even more exciting because we have the in-season tournament getting out of group play. Um, we'll get to the championship and who's going to win that and Christmas and everything is coming up. We're starting to hit that part in the season where things matter. You know, you you see in the first seven games if somebody's shooting crazy, it's like, oh, that's not sustainable. Or do I believe that? Or is that going to fall off? Is that going to take a dip? Is that just a stretch? Now we're hitting that part. This this next month is about to show, oh, that team is really good defensively. That dude is really clutch. He is having a breakout year. He is sustaining that uh, 47% from three. Whatever. Like, we're about to hit that part of the year where things are real. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is really what's going on. The Magic are really a top three seed out east. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Thunder are really here. We're going to see that over the next course of this month in December. So I'm excited. Um, I encourage y'all to buckle up and let's get ready. Hopefully, y'all get y'all coats out. It's snowing in Chicago. Um, so around the world, it's probably getting colder. But I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. And I will see y'all in the next episode. Pee-wee the plug. This is the Heliocentric. I'm out. Peace.